Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we're talking with Kate Stopa about calcaneal stress fractures, running the Grand Canyon rim to rim, and maybe even giving up a kidney. So the big question is this, how are runners like us, who don't like hearing doctors say, just stop running, who know that we simply have to stay active, how do we heal in a way that lets us stay strong, maintain our running fitness, and keep preparing for the next race, and still heal without making the injury worse? Well, that is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Dr. Christopher Segler, and welcome to the Doc on the Run podcast. So in this episode, we've got a real treat for you. And Kate is somebody I met through the Grand Canyon Rim to Rim to Rim uh, run group. And she has an amazing story. So um, she actually commented on a question I had. And I've, when I heard her story, I was like, we just have to have her on the podcast. So I think you guys are going to uh, really get a lot out of this episode. Now, if you're not familiar with calcaneal stress fractures, a calcaneal stress fracture is just a, is a stress fracture in the heel bone itself. So the medical term for heel bone is calcaneus. And so calcaneal stress fracture is just when you get a stress fracture in that bone, but it's the largest bone in your foot and it's a really important bone. So you don't really want to break it. Now, if you're not familiar with the um, the Grand Canyon and running the Grand Canyon in particular with this rim to rim to rim approach, well... What it is, is you start at one side, uh, you start at the top of the rim and you run down the trails all the way to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. You run then across the Grand Canyon on the bottom, where sometimes it could be up to 120 degrees. Then you get to the other side, you run all the way up. And of course, since that was so much fun, and then you turn around and you run back. And depending upon how you do it, I guess how many times you get lost or which trails you take could be anywhere from 44 to 50 miles. And this is a long way to run. So running that way with a, a stress fracture is not great. Um, but Kate did, and she has agreed to come on the show and actually talk about it. So Kate, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. You know, thanks for, uh, you know, agreeing to do the interview, being on this morning and um, letting your story uh, be heard by all of the people who listen to the Doc on the Run podcast. And, you know, a lot of the people that come on here, their stress fractures are one of the big things, they're really common things. And um, I actually go to medical conferences and teach physicians about how to treat stress fractures and runners better. And, a couple of years ago, I was giving a talk on metatarsal stress fractures, and I would give a bunch of examples of runners that I actually sort of coached through doing an Ironman or a marathon or something like that with a stress fracture. Most of these people that I present, of course, are dramatic cases, kind of like yours, and they're people that actually had their fastest race ever who had a new PR in an Ironman or a marathon or something with a stress fracture when they were told they shouldn't even run at all. And a doctor raised his hand in the audience and he said, okay, so how long have you been letting runners run with stress fractions? Like, well, to be clear, I don't just let them run. I talk about how to reduce the stress and strain in a way that allows them to run without making it worse. And I've been doing that for about 10 years. And he said, okay, so how many times have you had to take one to the operating room to put it back together because they broke it? And I was like, well, that's a good question. Actually, the number zero. Not that that can't happen um, because it can happen. And that's what we're going to talk about with you too. So, all right. So listen, Kate, so 
when did you first hear also, by the way, I have to say this uh, out loud first, uh, Kate in responding to me said something very interesting. And if you look at her stuff on social media, you'll see that she is by any definition a runner, but she actually said, well, I'm not really a runner. I just think of myself as somebody who likes to run for cross training. And the fact that she ran across the Grand Canyon, but doesn't really consider herself a runner, I think it's just fascinating. So Tell us how you actually heard about the Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim run and what made you decide to do it? Like, how did that unfold? Okay. So to start off, I do. I consider myself a non-runner runner. So I'm more of a cross trainer. And as part of my cross training, I run. So I'm also a flight attendant. So I work on the airplanes and I'm on my feet a lot. So with that being said, um, I was at work and I had forgotten a book to take to work with me and I wound up buying runners magazine and I was flipping through the pages and I saw this article on rim to rim to rim in the Grand Canyon. So I read it and I'm like, Oh, I've never heard of that. I've, you know, and it's something that looked beautiful and it didn't seem too hard in the article. I mean, they said it was an ultra runner's dream, right? But I wasn't an ultra runner at all. And I had never done anything like that. But I also use running as part of um, an excuse to get away, right? To go on vacation, to see new places. So I said, uh, you know, this is something that I definitely would be interested in. And I'll have to look into it. And um, that's how I came across Rim to Rim to Rim. I had never heard of this before. Never. Okay. All right. So so you didn't consider yourself uh, an ultra runner by any measure. And no. you read this thing. And, and as you said, it's a lot of ultra marathoners dreams to kind of like get fit enough where they could actually go do this thing. So like when I turned 50, I did my first 50 miler. To be clear, though, it was a really easy 50 miler and nothing like doing the grand canyon run still counts still an ultra marathon you know but much easier than what you're talking about so how much um based on what you learned uh in that article or through the process like how much training do you think the average runner somebody who thinks they're a runner how much training do you think they have to put in to actually really successfully do the grand canyon rim to rim to rim run well, there are so many factors in that, actually. I believe the part of the country where you train and the terrain that you train on and in um, and what type of training you do is all dependent on how much training you have to put into it. I was not a strong runner at all. I actually did not really start running until a couple of years prior to this. Um, the longest distance I had ever run was a marathon, but again, I consider myself a cross trainer. So I did TRX, kickboxing, bar, um, lifted and spin. And so, and I ran on the side. So, um, for me, I put in probably about two hours at the gym and then about 40 miles a week to be okay. able to do this. Yeah. Okay. So still, so you got a lot of training and just not all run specific training, right? Correct. Like 
So yesterday, like I, I live in an area where there's a big mountain near my house. So I basically can take off, run on the trail, run up Mount Tam and then run back down Tam, Tam which is like fantastic training for something like the Grand Canyon, because yes. most of the hard stuff is either running up or down, you know. Uh, but if you live someplace, if you live in Houston, Texas, you can't really do that. So you have to be yeah. creative, right? Exactly. So how... I'm I'm very curious about this. So I see flight attendants and I know how hard you work and I know you can do like really long shifts and you know, you're on your feet a lot. And then you get to a, a, a destination where you have to overnight. And sometimes really you're just going to sleep and get up and go again. Right? right. So I always wonder when I see flight attendants uh, getting off the plane and it's a crew change and I kind of know the routine a little bit. Um, and I always think, how do they do that? Like, how do they, you know, work these really, really long days flying all over the country and then go exercise and fit all that in. Like, how do you, do you fit that in while you're actually working on these overnight excursions? I was, when I was training for rim to rim to rim, I would come off a red eye. And so I'd get back to the airport at 7am and I would bring a change of clothes and go straight to the gym. Um, because if I came home, I would not work out that day. <laughs> so um, if I do have some time at the hotels, then occasionally I would work out, but the overnights really became my rest days um, because I was working out so much on my own at home that I did need a rest day or two. So I used the hotels um, and my overnights as, as a rest day. Okay. All right. So I imagine that, you you know, you started doing all this training, but did you kind of connect with a group that was going to do this with you or were you doing it all on your own? <laughs> well, I'm from Pennsylvania. So I personally had never heard of Rim Trim Trim. Um, I did put it out as a fake Facebook post. Um, and I asked anyone if they'd be interested in running across the Grand Canyon and doing this with me. And I did have a friend, his name is Dan. Um, he did run rim to rim to rim with me on um, the first trip. And um, he raised his hand and he was willing to do it and train for it and come out with me. And I believe he did it um, this, for the same reasons why I did it. It was just a new adventure and something different um than running philadelphia races and you know our mountains are not really they don't have a lot of elevation so <laughs> it was just something completely different so did you incorporate any mountain training i mean did you go and you know because you don't need that much right you don't have to have the grand canyon to get a completely different effort even if you run a mile or two up a slope and down a slope is really different than running on flat ground did you get to do any of that when in pennsylvania I don't like hills. No, I did none of that. <laughs> so, okay, I so, only do that if I have to do it. Okay. So, all right, y'all, if you're listening now, Kate's not a runner. She says she doesn't like hills. <laughs> and for some reason she decided to run down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon, then up the Grand Canyon, yes. then down the Grand Canyon, then up the Grand Canyon. So, you know, make sure you, you follow this closely now, because it's hard to keep, keep on track of what Kate's up to here. All right. So, um, all right. So, so you've got, you know, at least some people that you, you know, can kind of connect with, which I think is helpful in any of these things. Right. Um, yes. so, so obviously you're training a lot, um, and you're trying to fit it into, you know, a fairly regular rigorous work schedule. It has 
probably some sleep deprivation mixed in, which isn't really great. Um, hard to recover well if you're not sleeping well, if you're not eating well, all that stuff. And um, But you're training and you're moving along. So how much training had you been doing at the point that you actually realized you had your calcaneal stress fracture? Like how long into the training were you at that point? Okay. So, so I have to back up a little bit because I was diagnosed with the stress fracture in my heel the beginning of September. But when I started training for rim to rim to rim, and I started probably mid-March, early, early April, um, the by May, um, I was also diagnosed with plantar fasciitis. So from May to about August, I was suffering from plantar fasciitis and I was dealing with that as well. So um, I got through it. I was seeing a physical therapist for uh, plantar fasciitis. And then um, I did have about two weeks that I recovered and I was feeling really good with my foot. And then about two weeks later, I was start starting to have pain in my foot again. And luckily my um, PT, his office was connected to the gym that I attend. So I saw him walking out and I grabbed him. I said, I'm starting to have foot pain again. So he, he was helping me with the plantar and we had gotten rid of that. And so he looked at my foot and, you know, did a couple tests. One of them was the squeeze test. Um, Then he's like, can you show me where on your foot, where the pain is? And I was able to take my finger and point to the exact spot. And that's when he said, it's, I don't think it's plantar fasciitis. I think you should go get um, an x-ray and MRI on this. Yeah, that's not good. So, um, so that shifts gears completely right because you know you you know i'm sure that you can run with plantar fasciitis in most cases without too much risk but when you have a calcaneal stress fracture it's a little different so were you able to get the mri and did that is that how you got diagnosed that's how i got diagnosed i left yep i left with the boot um and i had the boot on from probably the middle of september up until the day i went out to run trim trim trim. Okay. So were you wearing the boot all the time? No. (laughs) (laughs) I'm probably a doctor's challenge. Um, I, at this point, um, I had put off running rim to rim to rim um, because um, I was taking care of my father the summer prior. So that messed up my training. And so I had put it off a year and then the foot and everything that I was dealing with, I wasn't willing to put it off again. I see. Um, So I did not run with the boot never um, while I was in the boot leading up to rim to rim to rim, but I did take it off to work out. Okay. And so I'm curious about this. Now, a couple of things with a lot of times when people have calcaneal stress fractures, it's they they think it's plantar fasciitis. And so when you first noticed it and you, you know, you caught the physical therapist, you know, there in the gym going out, were you suspicious at that time thinking that you're just your plantar fasciitis has sort of kicked in again? Or did you? That's what I thought. Yeah, that's pretty common. 
Okay. So, but you didn't have any bruising or anything like that, right? No. Yeah. So that, that's one thing is we often say like, well, you know, if you have bruising, you're more likely to have a stress fracture, but unless you really, really crack it, you won't have any bruising. You know, if it's just sort of an early stress fracture or stress reaction, um, there won't be any bruising at all. So a lot of times people, you know, they have pain in the heel and they don't see any bruising and they don't really see any swelling. They think, well, that's got to be plantar fasciitis just because that's most common, but it's good to know the difference. So when you were in the boot, did it feel better in the boot or and did it hurt when you were not wearing the boot? Was it definitely like the boot was helpful for you? Would you say? Uh, the boot was definitely helpful for me. Yes. Okay. When you were working out, did you do anything else? Did you use any kind of, um, you know, like heel cushions or anything in your workout shoes to try to take stress off of it? I did. I used heel cushions. Okay. That was recommended that, by my uh, physical therapist. And that did help, right? Yes. So, yeah, I mean, you have to remember like a stress fracture is a stress related injury, right? So anything you do that reduces the stress on that injured part gives you more room to do activity. So you were able to kind of stay fit and train, even though you had it. Uh, was your doctor happy about that? Um, I, well, I, I don't know. Um, I didn't really. <laughs> no, the answer is no, Kate. I can tell you, I don't know your doctor, but I can tell you that's just no, they're yeah, never happy. I, I, at, again, at this point, I was pushing my limits. Um, uh, the doctor did not know I was taking my boot off. My physical, physical therapist knew I was taking my boot off, but, and he knew I was how determined I was to run rim to rim to rim. So, yeah. well, now just to be clear, you know, when I lecture at medical conferences to physicians about running injuries, I tell them I have a specific slide in every one of my talks that says, you know, it's like a quiz. It's like, you know, if a doctor comes in with foot pain, you know, your job is to number one, make it look better on x-ray. Number two, make the pain go away. Number three, make sure it doesn't get worse. Or number four, help the runner achieve his or her goal. Well, that's your job. And doctors want to think it's those other three things. Now we're supposed to make the pain go away. We're supposed to tell you not to run or whatever, but that is not why you are coming to see us. If you're signed up to do this run, you've got friends counting on you. The goal is to figure out how to get you trained and ready for that event without making it worse, hopefully. But to get you through that in one piece is really the job of the physician. But that's often lost in these little short five-minute visits with doctors that you know we seem to most often get. Um, but it's tough, right? So you've got stress being applied to it when you're standing, even if you're in the boot. You got stress being applied to it when you're working out. You know you're going to stress it when you do the run. So if you could go back in time, not to the run itself, but you know earlier um, in the phase of when you started having this pain that was different from your plantar fasciitis, if you could go back to that point in time and do something different, do you think there's something you could have done to slow down or decrease the chances that it would progress to a full-on fracture in the bone as opposed to just a stress fracture? Is there anything you could have done differently or that you would have done differently if you could go back in time? Thinking about it, probably not. Um, because I really was trying to keep a lot of the uh, pressure and weight bearing activities off my foot. Um, I was very careful when the boot was off. Um, but again, I was so determined to do this that it, it, you know, I, I knew I had to keep up my training and I knew I couldn't run. So I just, I had to keep doing something to stay active and to keep my legs in shape to do this. 
Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. And I mean, I understand that. And that really, again, it's like, you've got to be creative, right? So it's not just one thing and, um, you know, not running is, is never the right answer for a runner. So, um, you know, so that's, that makes sense. Um, now, okay. On social media, I saw a picture of you wearing a fracture walking boot, standing with a group of runners <laughs> at the edge of the grand Canyon. So I'm just going to stop right there and let you explain that picture to us. Okay. So that picture was taken the day before we actually um, headed out to do rim to rim to rim. So it's myself and Dan and Chantel who came out from Atlanta. We just met her that day. And William who came out from California that um, I had met on um, rim to rim to rim run group on Facebook. And I had met him in um, Phoenix and we drove him out to the Grand Canyon. So we just, we wanted to know where the trailhead was. So we went out to where the trailhead was and we took that picture. And yes, I am in a walking boot because I was trying to, I guess I, I just didn't want to put any more um, work on that foot if I didn't have to. So even what leading up to that day, um, I was in a boot. Um, and okay. Then, and then my physical therapist, uh, he researched, he knew I wanted to do it. So he did some research on his own to, and he showed me how to tape my foot for, um, for the run. So okay. the boot did come off for the run and yep. I did tape my foot. Okay. So even, you know, so, I mean, this looks crazy when you see it on social media, right? And in fact, a few weeks ago, I went to lecture at a medical conference in Iowa. And and when I was getting off of the plane to go talk about running injuries at this conference, the woman literally right in front of me, I mean, you can't make this up. I actually got out my phone and recorded it. So because when I put my suitcase in the overhead bin, there was a fracture walking boot in the overhead bin. And I thought, somebody's supposed to be wearing that, not taking it as carry on luggage, right? but it was in the luggage compartment. And so when I was waiting to get off the plane, I actually got on my phone and I recorded this. And, I, and so basically she pulls the boot out of the thing. And did she put it on her foot? No, she actually straps it to the outside of her roller bag. And then I'm walking behind her, literally recording her with my phone, watching her limp all the way through the entire airport, which to me, it's just crazy. And I was like, I basically thought, oh, this is gonna be perfect. I'm going to put this in one of my talks to show doctors like the mindset of runners, you know? And so when we see that, you know, picture of you on the Grand Canyon, you think, okay, this is somebody who should be on crutches or in a wheelchair, not going and running across the Grand Canyon. But really what you were doing is protecting it as much as possible right up until the last minute. And then you taped it. So it's not like you just took off the boot and then put on some minimalist shoes and ran across the Grand Canyon, you know, you're taping it, you're doing some things to actually support and protect you as much as possible during that. So, you know, that's part of what you have to really understand, but it, it is a dramatic image, you know, that's for sure. Um, So you, so you basically did the Grand Canyon run and what happened? Did it actually, how did you, it progress? What happened in terms of it getting worse? During the run, it felt okay. Um, I was able to run I think the first year when we finished the Grand Canyon, it was during a storm. So 
we were actually in a bathroom for for over an hour. But our runtime, I think, was just about 17 hours. Um, so we were happy with our time because, you know, of the situation. I did feel okay up until probably the last nine or 10 miles when we got, we got back to Phantom Ranch and we were going to go back up South Kaibab okay. or no, what, what was it? Right. Yeah. Bright angel, bright angel. We went mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then, so, then yeah, when did it get worse? Okay. So just when you're going up basically on the last leg. Yeah. I think I was just tired too. And I was just, everything was bothering me. It wasn't just my foot, you know, yeah. we were well, tired. Yeah. I'll bet. Yeah. Well, I always think also that, you know, that the majority of running injuries getting worse, you know, happens like during the last mile repeat, repeat or the last few miles of your long run, you know, because when you're, when you're fit and you're healthy and your form is good at the beginning of the run, well, you're, you know, you're maintaining dynamic loading and, um, and form that actually supports and protects you. But as soon as you get fatigued, you load things way more statically and way more erratically and asymmetrically. And so suddenly you're really kind of pounding on things because your muscles aren't strong enough at that point. They're just giving out and they can't really hold you in these protected, you know, stances so much. And so your running form falls apart and you start beating it up. And that may be part of why it was starting to feel worse. But yeah. uh, so how bad did it get? Um, It didn't. It. I felt it, you know, by the time we got up to the top, I definitely felt it. It wasn't horrible. Um, it wasn't horrible. I did go to the doctor. The doctor wanted to take another x-ray after I had finished uh, R3. So I believe the day I got home, I went back to the doctor for the x-ray. And unfortunately, that's when I found out that I broke it. It, okay. was, it was no longer a stress fracture. It was broken. Yeah. Okay. So was it in a bunch of pieces or was it just like a big crack? No, I did not shatter it, thankfully. And yeah. that was, I was warned about running R3 on a stress fracture. Um, my doctor had told me, if you do this, there's a chance you can shatter this and you'll need surgery and you'll never run again. But it was this important to me that I would have, I took the chance and I'm like, okay, if, if I can't run again, I can't run again, but I have to do it. And okay. Yeah. So a couple of interesting things. One is that in the talk on stress fractures I do to physicians, I have a, a slide that talks about what can you run on and what can you not run on? And I always say, you know, you can do anything you want as long as you're willing to pay the consequences. It's not my job to tell you what to do. It's your, my job to explain the risk to you. And it's your job to make a decision about whether or not that's a good idea. Right. Yeah. And and, and so I have uh, with calcaneal stress fractures, I actually have this little short video clip in the talk that has two eggs falling and then hitting the ground and shattering and saying, this is what happens to a, a heel bone when that thin wall actually explodes outward. If it really breaks and does explode, that's hard to put back together. But what really struck me when you were just talking is that the doctor said, if you break it and it explodes, you will never run again. Mm -hmm. That's not true. So, you know, oh. is it good? No, it's not good for sure. But that is an overstatement, right? For sure. So there's a, a woman named Barbara who I've interviewed actually, I think three times. She's the only person I believe that I've interviewed three times over the last however many years I've been doing the podcast. 
And Barbara, when I met her, she um, was getting ready to go to Xterra, Switzerland to defend her European title. And at that time, she was a five-time Xterra world champion, uh, age group triathlete. Uh, she fell and broke both heel bones, like actually broke both of them. I mean, broken, broken. And um, one doctor who wrote a textbook told her that she would never run again. Another doctor who was a doctor for one of the professional sports teams here in the Bay Area told her, you'll never run again. And when I saw her, she was really and truly depressed and sitting in a wheelchair. And I was like, I think it's a stretch to say that you'll never run again. I think that's like saying Tiger Woods will never play golf again because he got in a car accident. Like, okay, are you going to be the same? I don't know. But I think to say you're not going to run against crazy. And eight months later, I went to Hawaii and I saw her win her sixth world championship. That was like almost 10 years ago or something. And uh, a few, well, two months ago, I guess she was in Hawaii and won, uh, she won another world championship. So She's continuing to do that for many years afterwards. So the, what, what's really important is that we don't have the ability to predict that. Now, it's true. It could be debilitating. My grandfather actually had a calcaneal stress fracture when we were kids. My brother got a little rocket for his birthday that you fill with water and you pump it up and then it shoots up in the air um, with hydrostatic pressure. And it landed on the roof. My grandfather climbed up on the roof and he was getting it. And I remember him seeing him moaning in pain on the, on the sidewalk when he fell off the roof as he was getting back on the ladder. And I thought that he broke his leg. And I remember him, and I, I may not have even been in first grade or something when this happened, but I remember him taking us to the circus on crutches and he had a cast on his leg and he had crutches. And many, many years later, he had already... Um, passed away at that point. I was having dinner with my grandmother. And that day I'd been in the operating room fixing a calcaneal stress fracture where it had exploded, where a guy was trimming a tree, fell off a ladder and blew it apart. And I was explaining to her that I did this surgery and put a plate and a bunch of screws on this guy's heel bone and sewed it all up. And she said, oh, that's what happened to your grandpa. And I was like, oh, really? And she said, yep. And he didn't really talk about it much, but he actually never had another step in his entire life without pain after that. But uh, what's interesting to me also is that in all of those years, I never once heard him complain about it. And he walked five miles a day, like well into his 80s. Um, So it can be debilitating. But to say that it's going to stop you from doing those things, I don't think we can really fairly say that. But it's certainly very high risk. And I'm sure the doctor was just trying to impress that on you. But you did it and you survived. So uh, I know that's one of many crazy adventures you've had. And um, it seems like you've taken a little bit of a, a break from some of those crazy adventures recently. And I've also seen a bunch of your social media posts where you're talking about organ donation. So tell us about how those things go together. They don't really go together. So again, <laughs> we have to thank Facebook and social media sometimes, right? I had no idea that you could even donate part of your liver. Um, And then my neighbor across the street posted one day that this woman in Pittsburgh needed um, a living liver donor for her best shot at life. And it wound up to be, it was a college friend. So, and that's why she shared her Facebook post. My husband saw it, let me know. And he's like, are you willing to donate part of your liver? And my response was sure. So I went through the testing. I was approved and I donated my right lobe of my liver. 
in wow. 2020. Um, I healed. She got better. Um, she is, she went back to work. She is a nurse and um, she, she recovered as well. So wow. for my one year follow-up for donating my liver, I said, well, it was, it was kind of easy, you know, um, I'm in, I'm in good health and I helped someone and, um, she's healthy now too. So I started testing for a kidney. So I was, I, I was approved and I donated a kidney in 2021 and I was able to, I didn't know my recipient at the time. I did meet him the day of surgery. Um, and I recovered from that. And so now there are no more surgeries, hopefully in the future. And um, I'm back to doing everything that I was doing prior. Probably, you know, I, I'm cross training and running. Um, I'm running Boston. So it hasn't donating body parts hasn't slowed me down in any way. Um, I did have to pause and, and for a little bit, only maybe two weeks after donating my kidney from running, but I ran a half marathon two weeks after donating a kidney. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that is crazy. Now, did your doctor give you clearance to do that? Is that, I mean, and I'm not a kidney doctor, so I mean, I just say it's crazy because it sounds crazy. Just like seeing you standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon wearing a boot and like, she's going to run across that. It sounds so crazy. So, I mean, it seems like it would be a really big intensive recovery. Um, but what was your recovery like from donating the kidney? Like how bad was it? I had open surgery. 99.9% .9 of people who donate a kidney have arthroscopic surgery. But because I had um, a big scar down my torso from donating my liver um, and they wanted to do arthroscopic and a bikini cut to take out the um, kidney, I didn't want them going and touching my lower abs since my upper abs were not 100% yet. So I asked for um, an open surgery, um, which I had, and um, my kidney surgeon was also my assistant surgeon for my liver. So he knew my recovery period through um, being my doctor for the liver. And so he basically said to me, you've done this before, um, you know, your body, and just don't overdo it. You know, you don't want to give yourself a hernia. And because right. the only, um, I guess you have to have a hernia hernia repair. And that's another surgery. So I didn't want another surgery. So basically, I couldn't lift more than 10 pounds. But he said, if you want to run, just, you know, take it easy, listen to your body, don't pull anything. And I think from having the liver surgery already, I learned actually how to run better. After my liver surgery, my cadence changed. I used my legs because um, I used to be like a major heel striker. So when, when I was recovering from my liver surgery, all I could use were my legs. Um, so that just changed my form enough that I was able to start running again a lot sooner with my kidney surgery. 
Okay. That's really interesting. Uh, and, you know, one of the quotes that I read on the uh, blog article, which uh, I think from Chantal from PT Runner blog, um, was, you know, the biggest thing I've learned is that you can't plan for anything in life. Just when you have, you think you have things figured out, life takes a turn. And so uh, I'm imagining you really didn't plan to donate a liver and you didn't plan to donate a kidney, but you did. And so tell us how, you know, all that stuff and that quote, how that stuff kind of shapes your life today. Has it changed you in any way? It has. And let me tell you, Chantel, I'm 50 years old and Chantel is at the time when I met her, she was 25. She was turning 25. So she's a lot younger. And for her to come up with this quote, right? It's she has so much to look forward to. And she is just beginning to see that no matter what life has to throw at you, you just take it right. Because you can plan for so much in life, but you can't predict what's going to happen. So basically, you just want to take each day as an individual day and and, and take on whatever comes your way, you know, the, the positive, the negative, the struggles, the every, everything, um, what you think, what you plan in your head. And it's, it's just what you plan may not come about, I guess. So you just have to pivot. And you have to adjust your training and you have to adjust your life and you, you have to adjust decisions. And it just, it's, it's, it's a life lesson. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, so even though you kind of said that these crazy adventures were kind of taking a back seat, well, donating organs is a pretty crazy adventure and now you're doing Boston. So what other kind of adventures are on your list of, uh, of dreams right now? So I have Boston coming up in April. And then I think my next adventure, I have, oh, I have, um, I'm climbing Kilimanjaro in July. Of course you are. <laughs> yeah. And then um, I'm actually running R3 again this coming October. Wow. Fantastic. And so this one, hopefully I'll be injury free. And this, this one will be with one kidney. So. All right. <laughs> that is fantastic. All right, Kate. So, you know, right now, given the topic, the chances are really good that somebody's listening who has a stress fracture in her foot. And if she's thinking about doing some big event that has truly been like a lifelong goal, like Boston or something like that, what advice would you offer to her? To relax a little bit and trust your training and be patient. Definitely listen to your body. Um, I'm assuming that runners, most runners know the difference between being sore and pain, the good pain and the bad pain. I learned um, what bad pain is through a couple of injuries. And now I definitely listen to my body. Um, and if, if it's not on my training plan, I'll just have to pivot and do something else to, to keep active. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a lot physical and mental, right? So. Oh yeah. Uh, 
you know, if you can't do the physical, at least if you try something different, it's good for the mental. Yeah, for sure. No, that's great advice. And, you know, I like, I, I truly believe that all of us as runners, as athletes working out, having been in training for a long time, we all know the difference between being sore from a hard workout and mm -hmm. something actually hurting because it's, if not really injured, it's on its way to becoming an injury. I believe that we know that just as much as we know the difference between the words stop and go. But the issue is that that <laughs> that that sound is really subtle sometimes. So it's almost like somebody's whispering stop and it kind of sounds like go. So it is a, a hard thing to figure out sometimes, particularly when we're really, really intent on pursuing some ambitious goal. But uh, I like what you said about having to be patient. That's really, I think, a key and really important. Um, well, listen, Kate, uh, I'm really glad that you came on to share your story. It's really generous of you with your time. Not really surprising, given that you donate a kidney to a stranger. But uh, it, I really do think this is going to be helpful for a lot of people who you know, we're going through similar things because it can be so demoralizing to be told, look, if you do this, you're never going to run again. Um, and obviously you survived kind of the worst possible scenario and, uh, and you're still kicking. So that's fantastic. And, um, so great. Well, listen, Kate, thanks again for coming on. And, um, I really appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. Listen, no matter where you are in your running injury recovery journey, if you feel stuck, if you're losing your running fitness, if you're confused about what to do next, I created something for you that can really help if you're recovering from an injury and you don't want to get left behind. Take the running injury quiz to figure out exactly what's needed to speed up your running injury recovery right now. It's free. You can go get it at DocOnTheRun.com quiz. So go check it out and I'll see you there.